hello, hello. You are listening to A Pastor in His Newspaper with Dr. Castro, a podcast helping you read the news with the Bible in your hand. I am Dr. Castro. It's so great to be with you. I'm recording this new episode of this podcast. Hope you have been enjoying the last few episodes that we that I've done. And so uh, we're going to talk about um, just an interesting phenomenon that's happened since um, February 2020, obviously. Uh, a major event happened in March of 2020 with the worldwide pandemic and how that has affected um, America where people are living living currently. So very interesting. Before we get to it, uh, we just want to uh, say this. Finally finished Stranger Things Season 4. Um, did not know the last episode was going to be um, two hours and 20 minutes long. Um, so that kept me up pretty late, but really enjoyed it and uh, look forward to season five. I think there was like a three year, I think it was a three year gap between season three and season four. So I hope it's not a three year gap between uh, season five, which will be the last season. Um, but some surprises in that episode and what a great show and a lot of fun and all the 80s nostalgia, which I guess some of these songs uh, that came out in the 80s are now quite popular because of this show, the Kate Bush song, which I had, don't think I had ever heard um, Running Up the Hill. Uh, but now that song, I can't get out of my head and listen to it uh, quite often. It's a pretty catchy song. Um, but also the Master of the Puppets, the uh, Metallica song is now uh, popular again uh, because of that moment in the last episode of Stranger Things. So some of these bands and, and music groups from the 80s um, are getting popular again because of Stranger Things. Uh, another um, important thing coming up in about a month and a half, college football starts. Uh, some of my beloved Tennessee Vols will kick off their season on Thursday night again. I went last year to the uh, game on Thursday night. And we are playing Ball State this year. Uh, don't know if I'm going to be able to go to the game because we're having a baby. My wife is pregnant and we're having our fourth child, our third son, um, early September. And so I'm not really sure if I'll be able to go to that particular game. Um, but um, but yeah, looking forward to the football season. I think Tennessee is going to be good this year and a little bit better than they were last year, um, even though they were surprisingly good last year. Uh, I do. So I'm going to give a kind of a, a quick prediction, uh, even though this is not a sports podcast, but you know, you may be interested in my, my view of Tennessee football. We did do an episode on college football, uh, several weeks ago, but, um, I believe Tennessee will go nine and three during the regular season. Um, I see them losing, to Georgia and Alabama. I do think those games will be closer than they were last year, but I think Tennessee will obviously lose. They just don't have the talent to beat those teams, but I think they're getting closer to Alabama. So I think that game will be closer than it was uh, last year and the years before. But um, I do see Tennessee losing either to Florida, LSU, Kentucky, or South Carolina. Uh, I see them losing one of those four games. So going three, one of those games, I think the LSU game is the more likely of the four um, because it's at LSU and LSU is hard place to play. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if they won that game either. It's most likely not going to be the night game. Uh, so it's potentially that they could win that. I do see Tennessee is 
talent wise better than Florida this year. Uh, I do the game is going to be in Knoxville. So I think I'm pretty confident that Tennessee will win that game. Um, I think Tennessee is better than Kentucky and that game's in Knoxville. So I can see them winning that game. I can see them losing to South Carolina. Uh, even though Tennessee won pretty handily last year, it's in uh, Columbia. And so they can lose that game when winning a road game in the SEC is not easy. So I, I see them potentially only losing one of those four toss up games. Um, they could lose, um, you know, they go two and two in those games, which I think some people are predicting that they'll go kind of eight and four overall. But so I just kind of how I see the season unfolding. Um, and so, um, so yeah, so, and I think the LSU game thankfully is in the beginning of the season. Um, same with the Florida game. So most likely those two teams with new coaches probably won't be as good in the beginning of the season as they probably will be later in the season, maybe. So, um, that kind of favors Tennessee and their, and their schedule. So, so yeah, I think Tennessee is kind of set up well to go nine and three. Um, and since I'm a Tennessee fan and very biased, I think nine and three is kind of where I'll land eight and four is probably the more likely, uh, for anyone who's kind of predicting and makes money predicting, um, seven and five seems like kind of the low end of the three. So I see them either going seven and five, eight and four, nine and three, and I'm in the favor of the nine and three. Um, and so that would be a pretty good bowl game at nine and three. I think they will be second in the East. I think they, the second most talented team in the East and, uh, that'll be pretty fun. I mean, Tennessee hasn't gone nine and three in a long time. So that'll be a pretty fun ge- uh, year. And, uh, hopefully I'll get to go to one or two of these football games. Now being in kind of the heart of the sec world, I uh, look forward to, talking college football with the people I go to church with and people that maybe see around town here in Cairoville. So uh, that's coming up in a month and a half, I think less than 50 days. Um, some things that has happened since uh, our, my last episode, um, the former prime minister, Abe Shinzu was assassinated uh, last week. Um, Japan does, uh, is this is really shocking. Uh, Japan doesn't have these type of um, mass shootings or assassinations. Um, Shinzo was the longest serving prime minister in Japan's young democracy. Abe Shinzo was Japan's former prime minister and he was shot on Friday morning during a campaign speech in the Western city of Nara in ARA. Which is what's interesting about this story is number one, it's unfortunate, it's very sad, um, and it definitely has uh, shook the the nation of Japan. Again, these type of events don't happen um, in a, in Japan, and, and unfortunately, in the United States, we have become accustomed to mass shootings. We actually had one during Fourth of July in Chicago, um, and so it's becoming kind of like a monthly pattern, but these things don't happen in Japan and especially a political assassination like this. So that has really shook Japan and just really the, the, the whole world. Um, what a, a tragic event. And uh, what's so interesting also about the story is that his grandfather who also served as Japan's prime minister during the late fifties, 1957 to 1960, uh, his name was Kishi Basuka, uh, N-O-B-U-S-U-K-E. Um, he was uh, 
when he was prime minister, he passed a, a security treaty with the United States in 1960, which was uh, not popular amongst people. And there was a lot of mass street protests. And so a month after the treaty was adopted, uh, an assailant stabbed Mr. Kashi in the thigh six times and he survived. Uh, this was Mr. This was prime minister, uh, Abe Shinzu's grandfather. So to, for those two men who are in the same family to both serve as prime minister of Japan and to also be attacked, um, is, is very interesting and very sad. Um, and, uh, so, uh, don't have a lot of time to explain. I would encourage you to read up on, on Shinju Abe just to be familiar with him. Um, and again, very, um, uh, longest serving prime minister in Japan's history. Um, he, push Japan to play a more prominent global role and to be a more active role in its own defense, um, a shift from decades of passive, uh, pacifism following the second great war. Um, another event that happened, uh, recently last week is Boris Johnson, um, resigned as prime minister of great Britain. Um, Boris Johnson is, uh, uh, has kind of the very, uh, uh, crazy blonde hair, um, and a very, uh, unique, uh, man. Um, and, uh, he was, uh, the recent, um, uh, Tory party's, um, prime minister, which is interesting about this is that he obviously was the, the big, um, pusher for Brexit and was able to get it, uh, passed during his time as prime minister. But this is now the 14th, um, oh, Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth II has worked with 14 prime ministers so far. She's had 14 different prime ministers during her reign. So she will soon welcome a 15th prime minister very, very soon. I, I believe the prime minister, uh, if I can remember my crown history, um, meets with her once a week. Um, that's kind of the time that the prime minister has with her. So she'll be welcoming her 15th new prime minister since Boris Johnson just recently stepped down as prime minister of Great Britain. So I want to talk about um, an interesting um, kind of, um, this was in the, the Wall Street Journal this past week. Um, and uh, since since February, 2020, um, well, how people have been um, moving around the country and why they've been moving around the country. I'm going to present some, some different numbers here. Um, and uh, so this article is written by Josh Mitchell, uh, red states recover faster than blue. And so uh, he's looking at there's just the, how the pandemic has changed the geography of the American economy um, and looking at population numbers and what states are growing, what states are declining in, in population and what states are growing economically, which states have become more stag- stagnant during uh, since February 2020. Um, and what is what what has been uh, what they've observed recently um, is that workers and employers are moving from the northeast coast and the west coast to the middle of the country in Florida. Um, and since twenty since February twenty twenty, the Labor Department has reported that red states, and we're going to find what red states are and blue states, have added three hundred forty one thousand jobs. And blue states have lost 1.3 million jobs. Um, 
So what is a red state? Some of you listening to this, you know exactly what a red state is. It's really weird language that we use. We, we basically give a color label to certain states. And, and what we mean by that is if you've ever watched a presidential election, uh, red states, uh, well, the, a state will be colored red if that state um, votes uh, for the Republican nominee or Republican candidate, uh, and a blue state will be colored in if that state votes for a Democratic candidate. Um, the majority of the votes go to that particular candidate. So red has been associated with the Republican Party, blue the Democratic Party. And so certain states uh, uh, over certain elections tend to um, vote for a different, uh, you know, for the different candidate from the particular party. Uh, so like the state of Tennessee has been a red state and has voted for a Republican candidate since I think President Clinton won Tennessee twice. Um, obviously, Vice President Gore was a was from the state of Tennessee. He was the governor here. Um governor or senator. He may have been senator. I think he was senator of Tennessee. Uh, but I believe Bush on both occasions won Tennessee, even when Gore was running for president. Um, and um, during Obama's um, campaigns, he bo- I think he lost Tennessee twice. Um, Trump won Tennessee twice, um, even though he lost the 2020 election. Uh, the state of Kentucky is considered a red state. Uh, the, the state of Florida has typically gone red. Um, not as consistent as say like a state like Oklahoma or Tennessee, but is known as a red state. Texas is known as a red state. It typically votes for a Republican candidate. Um, states like uh, Louisiana, Arkansas, uh, Kansas, Oklahoma, um, North Carolina tends to be a little more, as we say, purple, tends to be more independent. Virginia as well. Um, Ohio, uh, even though it's considered a battleground state or a toss-up state, uh, it typically is Republican. Same with Indiana. So these are different states that typically will vote for the Republican candidate. Um, Where a state like Illinois, New York, California, uh, Vermont, uh, Washington, Oregon, these states typically are, um, they tend to vote for a Democratic candidate. Um, now, there are some states that, again, not tend to lean more Democrat, but um, I would say it's purple, more of a toss-up. Uh, those states would be like Pennsylvania, uh, a state like Colorado, Nevada, potentially. Uh, Arizona and Georgia now have been considered more purple states. Um uh, they tend to be more right leaning or conservative leaning or Republican leaning. But in the last election were um, states that voted for Joe Biden. And so there's these different states that are typically lean one direction over other. We say we would call them either a, a red state or a blue, a blue state or maybe even a purple state if they tend to be more independent and tend to be more of a toss up state. And so when we think of the predominantly red states and the predominantly blue states, we're seeing that employees and residents from states like California, Illinois, New York are moving into more red states. Um, even companies are moving. Caterpillar, which is the um, kind of the farming um, another type of heavy equipment company, is actually planning to move from their headquarters in Illinois, which is a blue state, to Texas, what is known as a red state. 
Um, Moody's Analytics, which is a consumer credit report, developed an index of goods and services produced, employment, retail sales, and new home listings. 11 of the 14 states with the highest reading, according to Moody's Analytics, through mid-June were red, and eight of the bottom were blue. Um, So what Moody has discovered and what they've observed with their uh, kind of their index is that there's growth happening more in the red states than in the blue states economically. Uh, Mass migration is seen as the main cause for red state growth and blue state stagnation or decline. Uh, 48 million people have moved zip codes from February 2021 to February 2022, the most in any 12 months period during going back to 2010. And uh, my family is uh, a part of this statistic. We moved in late November of 2021 to Tennessee. Now we left a predominantly red state, Indiana, to go to another red state, uh, Tennessee. Uh, But we're seeing actually people moving from Illinois, um, Michigan, California, New York, other new new northeastern states, and moving to Tennessee, North Carolina, to Texas. The states that gained the most were Florida, Texas, and North Carolina. Uh, they, they saw the most of this 48 million uh, migration into in the last, uh, last year. The states that lost the most were California, New York, and Illinois. And so one of the interesting components of this, again, this is kind of these numbers have been um, the look in these numbers from now to um, kind of during the, 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 the hardest hitting times of the pandemic um, and how people have uh, with kind of separating or severing, uh, severing the link between geography and the workplace. When people were working remotely and the offices were closed and people were told not to come into work and to work from home, now it gave people a decision to make. They can live in a different place, but yet still work for the same company. Uh, we now call them as remote workers. And so people were thinking of, I could potentially live in a different place, but work for the same company. Now I actually have to change jobs. Others were actually thinking because, um, you know, people were leaving the workforce or leaving um, because of certain reasons that, jobs in other parts of the country would be more available. So people were making lifestyle decisions based off housing costs, uh, weather, traffic, taxes. Um, and they're looking at certain states that have lower cost of living, better, warmer weather, a lower traffic or less traffic and lower taxes and deciding to maybe move to those locations and, and work remotely. Now, we don't know since the abortion decision, uh, the Dobbs versus Jackson uh, just, you know, came down just recently. We don't know if how that will affect these trends. Um, you know, most of the red states are um, taking this as an opportunity to restrict abortion rights, where blue states are seeing this as an opportunity to expand abortion rights. Um, and so will this continue? Will, will people from California, New York, and Illinois that have more open abortion rights, would they still choose to live in states with more restrictive 
abortion right. We don't know that. We won't understand this data. Maybe this time next year, we can maybe make some um, more observations about those decisions and how much that decision will affect people moving to um, red states from blue states. But, you know, in the in kind of in the past 30 years, globalization and technology had fueled a knowledge economy dominated by college graduates who clustered in big city metropolis metro areas in the West and Northeast. So California, uh, Southern California, kind of down the Western coast. And in the Northeast, you have these big cities like, um, you know, Philadelphia, uh, New York, um, Pittsburgh, um, uh, Boston, and these other kind of Northeastern cities, these clusters, these pretty big metropolises uh, that kind of graduates have been moved to these cities, work for these big companies in these cities. Uh, by when the, Over the last 30 years of con- continual population growth in these areas, it's caused property value to increase significantly in these areas. And co- so cost of living is really high. Taxes are very high traffic is is really bad and and so all these different and of course if you're living in the northeast um the weather is quite cold um during most of the year so now individuals because of remote working because of the pandemic are now choosing where to live it's probably one of the first times in a long time if ever that individuals are having this this opportunity to choose where they want to live where where they work isn't so dependent on where they live. Um, Stanford University did a study recently that said uh, 16% of people plan to work fully remote, while another 31% plan to adopt a more hybrid schedule of working in the office part-time and at home the rest. And even if you work as a as someone who's a hybrid worker, you could choose to um, to go into the the company's office maybe uh, several days every month. So maybe you could travel to that particular place where you don't have to actually live in the same city. So if that is even a large group of that thirty one percent, that's a pretty large group of people that are going to maybe have some decisions and, and independence where they live. You have people saying, like, I always had to go where the job was. This is the first time I'm able to go to the city I really wanted to go to as opposed to where his job or her job took them. So people are choosing to live in Austin, Texas, Miami, Florida, Nashville, Tennessee. And what is interesting is that um, companies are actually following their employees or the workers to these areas. You have you have companies moving their businesses from California to Nashville or to Atlanta or to Austin. And Tesla is the famous one who moved their or moving their headquarters to Austin, Texas, and and Elon Musk has bought a house in Austin, Texas. Um, interesting enough, in some of these cities in the South, like in Austin and in, in Houston, more than half their offices are occupied. While in business districts of San Jose and San uh, San Francisco, only about a third occupied, and in LA, only forty percent are occupied. Um, and so again, it doesn't seem like companies are are making their workers come back to the office. Uh, a lot of these cities on the West Coast are still um, not occupied. Where you know more than half of of offices in the South and some of these big cities in the South um, have been above 50% or kind of holding there. 
it probably will continue to grow as we get the kind of the pandemic and COVID behind us. And why are people moving to these cities? There's um, less expensive housing. Um, and so we're seeing the, these large urban counties with the highest median home value experience high decline in residents. And the 10 states that gained the most people from movement, uh, from movers or migrants between April 2020 and June 2021, the typical house costs 20%, 23% less than typical home in the 10 that lost the most residents to move. Of the states that gained the most migrants, those states average maximum income tax rate was 3.8%, where states like Florida, Texas, Tennessee, and Nevada have no income taxes. Eight point of the of the state of the ten states that lost the most residents, their average max their average maximum income tax rate was eight percent. That's a pretty big difference um, between the ten with uh, the gained the most and the ten that lost the most. Um, one of those states, the state that I live in, uh, Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee's economy has benefited uh, the most uh, from this move. Unemployment is an all time low at three point. 2% in April. Its workers saw some of the highest gains in weekly earnings among all the states last year. The economy grew by 8.6% last year, leading all states. And corporate and sales tax revenues are rising. Uh, I always tend to think that states are kind of like businesses. Uh, again, their kind of their income is taxes and tax revenue that they either get through income tax, sales tax, or corporate tax. Um, Again, residents and businesses are its customers. So lower prices lead to more sales, right? And so if you could keep taxes low, um, that will cause corporations and residents to want to live there. If they're able to buy homes, um, if home value is is pretty um, fairly low, or there's new homes that are being built so that there's options for people to move into, people will move there. Um, where a lot of these blue states, taxes are high, uh, sales, uh, home values are super high, so it's hard to buy a home. People are not going to want to live there. They're going to want to move out of these areas and move to areas where they can buy um, more. They can buy more home. They can. They don't have as much of the tax burden um, that some of these other states have. One of the other things, reason why we've seen probably more people moving from some of these bluer states like California, New York, and Illinois, two states like Tennessee, North Carolina, Florida, Texas. And some of these states had, during the pandemic, had fewer uh, restrictions. Um, they were more pro-school openings. They had less restriction on students and teachers uh, while they were in school. Um, some of the blue states really suffered because they, there were so much restrictions with mass mandates, um, and other closings and also just keeping schools closed for much, for much longer that parents were kind of uh, revolted and really were against some of these decisions that these states made. So some families just moved into other states and other areas that had uh, less restrictions during the pandemic. So what, what does this matter? Why, why is this important? I, obviously, we live in Tennessee. This is interesting because we're getting more residents into our, our cities, into our areas. Um, 
And so people from different parts of the country are moving into the States. Uh, my fam- my, my wife's family is all from Michigan. They migrated to Tennessee when uh, GM built uh, the Saturn uh, factory outside Nashville. Um, that calls, you know, people to move into a new area from Michigan. But ultimately, as we think about this, uh, we think about God's providence over human decisions. Uh, Acts chapter 17, verse 26, we see Paul talking to the Athenians and, and talking to them about, about God uh, and his sovereignty over all of mankind, all of, all of humans. He's, Paul says to them, and he made, God made from one man, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places. Basically saying that God is the one that draws people to where they live, where they go about their lives. So God is the one in, in control of where people are moving and people moving from certain states for certain reasons. God is involved in that. God is involved was involved in the pandemic. He was the one sovereignly in control of it. And he's moving people around the country for his greater purposes. And when we think about God, he is not just king and over Israel, but he's king over all the nations. He is God over all the earth. Uh, he governs the events of human history for his purposes. As the psalmist says, Psalm 33, verse 10, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Nothing frustrates his plan. God will and is accomplishing his plan. And again and again, it is God who brings about every event, every good that happens um, for his good purposes. We even think about the story of Joseph. Uh, Joseph, you know, he was sold into slavery by his brothers who had evil intentions. We learn in the end of that story that God was involved in that. Uh, God didn't merely just allow Joseph to be sent into Israel, but God himself sends him. He he uses the treachery of Joseph's brothers, and he uses this for his purposes, for his good. And obviously he did it to, to take care of and preserve Jacob and his family, but it was a part of God's plan to bring Jacob and his family to Egypt as the time of the Amorite and the Canaanite sins would be uh, would be pile up. What would lead to their judgment and also God's giving over the promised land to uh, Joseph and fulfilling His promise to Abraham. And so God is involved, right? He's not only just involved in these great historical events like the Exodus and and the redemption through Jesus Christ, but He's involved even in people's decisions to move to Austin, Texas or Nashville, Tennessee or Miami, Florida or Charlotte, North Carolina. It is God who brings about these events. It's God who is sovereignly behind them uh, and sovereignly involved in them. And we have to kind of face the fact that uh, our decisions are not independent of God. Uh, these individuals, these these people who are moving from California uh, to, to Nashville, Tennessee, they're not doing them completely making complete independent decisions as if they're independent of God and his authority and his sovereignty and his government. God is sovereign over the human will. He is the one accomplishing his will. We see in first Samuel chapter two, six through seven, this is the prayer of Hannah, the mother of Sam, uh, Samuel. 
She recognized that the Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol, he raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. The psalmist says in Psalms 37, 23 through 24, the step of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his ways. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong for the Lord upholds his hand. We even think of James chapter 4, 13 through 16. Come now you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do, know, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. It's so fascinating that James mentions this that people are making this decision. Hey, let's go tomorrow to a new city that has lower taxes, lower housing prices, better weather, better opportunities for us. Let's get out of this higher tax bracket and this very competitive housing market. And let's move to a new place. As if that person is making these decisions completely independent from God. God is the one that accomplishes his will um, and is arrogant of us to think that we are independent of God's will. God accomplishes his will and he uses human decisions to accomplish his will. God is involved even in the human decisions that are made. And I want to use this passage. It's uncommon of me to use a passage like this to talk about uh, something like this. I mean, contextually, um, you know, what we see in this particular narrative that I'm about to read has nothing to do with American migration from blue states to red states. But I think I want to, I want to talk about this because I want to pivot this. I want to spin this a little to talk about the importance of the church in this particular time. So this is the, you know, this is a story of Esther and, and Mordecai. And of course, Esther has being a Jew and, and, and the, the king and the, the emperor, the, the, the king of, of, of Persia is, is wanting a new queen and he brings in all the women of his empire, different women of his empire, and he chooses to marry Esther, who was a Jew. And uh, we see that uh, Esther is in the in the palace. He's in the court. She's in the court of the king of Persia. And at that time, Persia was the, the largest empire in the world. Um, and obviously, Israel was in exile. Uh, the Babylonians had taken... Uh, Judah, the southern kingdom, into, uh, uh, into exile. And then the Persian Empire conquered the Babylonians. And so they kind of got the, uh, the uh, Israel had to get a, a kind of uh, a, not adopted is not the right word, but they, um, uh, they're kind of joined in this conquering by the Persians because they were in Babylon at the time. Um, and we, so we see that uh, Mordecai has this conversation with Esther. And uh, there's a Haman is the is kind of the the advisor to the king, and he has this this uh, desire to um, to persecute um, and to to wipe out uh, the Jewish people and the empire. And Esther has been told this, and, and Mordecai explains this to her. And this is what he says to her. He says um, in verse twelve of chapter five of Esther. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace, you will escape any more than all the other Jews. Basically saying, even though just, even though just because you're queen, you're Jewish and you will be included in this, the slaughter. 
For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will ride from the Jews from another place. God will fulfill his promise. He will um, preserve his people. He promised he will bring them back to the land and he will accomplish this. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Basically, Mordecai is telling Esther, there's a reason why you're queen. There's a reason why God has placed you in the court. He's done it to use you to accomplish his will. And I say that, and to relate that back to what we're talking about, as God has sovereign, sovereignly brought people from areas with little to no active witness of the gospel through evangelical churches. We, we know if you look at statistics, you look at churches, there's far less conservative evangelical churches who believe in the energy of scripture, who believe in the, in the sufficiency of scripture, who believe in that salvation is in Christ alone. There are very few of those churches in North Sea. There are very few churches in California, in some of these blue states. But there are a lot of these churches in these red states. There's a lot of these churches in Dallas, in Austin, in Houston. There's a lot of these churches in Memphis, in Nashville, in Atlanta, in Orlando, in Charlotte, in Raleigh. When we think of a church in Raleigh, we think of Summit Church and J.D. Gruz Church, a very big church with multi-campuses throughout the country, but especially in North Carolina, people are moving to where these churches have already been established, where their ministries have already been established. That God is moving people to these cities and God has a plan. And there are people that are coming from these areas that are not Christians that God will save when they move to these areas. And they will use these churches to minister to them and to disciple them. And so my kind of uh, challenge um, for you who are listening to this, if you're a part of uh, one of these churches, if you're uh, a minister or you're a leader in one of these churches, may the church be prepared to witness the truth of the gospel to these new residents that come into these cities, that come into these communities, that come to live around these churches, live around these Christians, these these members of church bodies, these pastors and leaders. And pray that God will be God's will will be accomplished and sinners saved to the ministry of His churches in these areas. And God is sovereignly and purposefully bringing people to communities where we have. Um, good and healthy and bold churches. And I pray for my church that I'm a part of, Central Church. I pray as people from other areas of our country that are not Christian, they move into Memphis, Tennessee, they move into Kyreville, or move into Germantown. May we as a church minister to them. May we, may we bring the gospel boldly without, without any shame and proclaim it to them that there is life there is hope. There is everlasting life. That there is, there is uh, a relationship with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. That you have a there's a family that you can be welcomed into and be unified in through the blood of Jesus Christ. And pray that that God, that God would do that. That God is that God would use His churches. That we would be prepared uh, to minister to them, and that we would welcome and love them when they we do get to interact with them. So. 
that's my encouragement to you as we see uh, these these different things happening, these different trends that are happening around us, and uh, as God is working, God is using His churches to accomplish His will and His purposes. So thank you for listening to a, a pastor's newspaper. I want to encourage you to continue to read the news with a Bible in your hand. Have a wonderful weekend, and, and please stay cool. It's hot here in Memphis. I know it's hot around the, down the uh, parts of our country right now. And so stay cool, stay, uh, stay refreshed, um, and have a wonderful weekend, and we will see you next time.